Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hello there. Today we're talking with Thor Wood, who is the founder and CEO of Snapshift. We talk a lot about building and launching a two-sided marketplace, customer acquisition, raising funds, a little bit about the Snapshift story during COVID, before and after. Uh, Snapshift is in the hospitality space, so as you can imagine, it's a pretty difficult time for them. Just really enjoyed all aspects of this conversation. It was, it was super fun. Thor's an awesome guy, big personality. It comes through in the podcast. Uh, just really enjoyed it. Uh, Thor was also on the the podcast, The Pitch, so you can go listen to him there as well. And I, I think he's been on some other ones as well, but I listened to that one, found that one to be super interesting as well. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave me some feedback. If you want to drop me a personal note, you can do so at mkelly at startupcompetitors.com. And thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the show. Today we have Thor Wood, who's the founder and CEO of Snapshift. Thor, welcome. Hey, thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Why don't we start with a quick introduction and overview of Snapshift? Yeah, sure. So uh, Snapshift Labor Marketplace is what we call it. It's a cloud-based staffing software and mobile app that connects businesses with fully vetted and experienced professionals on demand. So think staffing as a service, if you want to play that that card. Uh, we help fill shifts fast. I mean, at the end of the day, we're combining um, the best attributes of the gig economy and HR tech, you know, marrying available workers to short-term opportunities. Typically, that's in food production and packaging, food service, hospitality, that sort of thing. That's what I was just going to ask. So it's two-sided marketplace, right? So you got to bring on both workers as well as sell to businesses, correct? Correct. And then uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to maybe get a little bit of the history of the product and company, like why Snapshift, why you, and then a little bit about how you've evolved. And maybe you can end with some maybe some current traction where you guys are at today. Sure. So uh, I was actually living in Florida as an executive recruiter. Uh, I was... That was my career, and I was, you know, living that that beach life. And um, it hit me one day, you know, as we were looking at uh, kind of the discombobulation of the staffing industry. You know, you've got executive white collar, and you've got temp agency. What else do you have? I mean, it, it really, we looked at an industry that I was familiar with: hospitality. You know, that includes restaurants and bars, hotels, food trucks, right? Uh, festivals. And is that that familiarity? Is that because you had background in it before you did executive recruiting, or you were recruiting executives for that industry? Yeah, my ba- you know, as a, like a lot of people, I think fifty two, fifty three percent of the U.S. worked in food service at, at some point. Yeah, I don't know about this current generation, the youngest, but uh, you know, I, I started when I was fourteen. I believe I was the summer going into eighth grade. 
started working at um, a restaurant downtown called the Teller's Cage, which was on the top floor of the now Regions Tower, and which was pretty cool. And that, that was kind of my first foray into hospitality. And uh, that, I you know, really, you can make good money depending on the operation you're with. And I, I saw that really, you know, firsthand. And so, worked at the convention center, worked multiple convention centers, actually uh, spent a lot of time at the uh, former um, Indianapolis Athletic Club. You know, we're talking about, you know, I think the the highlight of my career there was when Peyton Manning was drafted, which was back in like 98, right? And he was living at the athletic club. So that in and of itself made my job better than everybody else's, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I did. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I think, uh, you know, you really the biggest takeaway for me was the camaraderie, right? You, you really make uh, lifelong friends in the business and but flash forward, you know, I, you know, I went to college, went to IUPUI and was studying architecture technology. And, you know, I was, you know, a four-year degree turned into five, six, seven, you know, the years kept adding on. And I just found success while I was going to school in recruiting. At the time, it was focusing on retail, you know, mortgage lending. Uh, this was pre, you know, recession. And so I got a taste for what that business was like before everything kind of came crashing down. And, uh, I stuck through it though, ended up, you know, having a 13, 14 year career uh, in executive recruiting. And that's how I ended up in Florida. Um, one of my clients actually said, we want you to basically bring this in house for us and do our nationwide recruiting. And I said, sure, you know, you're paying Relo. I'm, I'll live on Fort Myers beach. Let's do it. But, it, and that was actually down there it was uh, serendipitous because I met my co-founder while, I, while living in Florida. And um, that's, you know, the mind meld in action. And we started thinking about ways that we could take the best parts of what I was already doing, which was that high level executive search, apply it to what at the time was fairly in a, you know, infant to a lot of markets, you know, the Uber, most folks um, hadn't seen the impact of Uber and Lyft in their markets. And so we were always big fans of that, the Airbnbs, Thumbtack, uh, TaskRabbit, and figured taking that concept of on-demand fulfillment, on-demand gratification, marrying that with, you know, quality control, you know, when it comes to the types of workers you're sourcing, where you're sourcing them from, how you hold them accountable. And if you marry that together, you can pretty much create a nice symbiotic effect that benefits the businesses, the workers. Uh, they know how to hustle already. So it just becomes kind of like an extra tool in their tool belt. And that's what we wanted to build. So that was kind of the genesis of Snapship, you know, ruminating while we were down in Florida was how do we build this thing? And, and as you know, that's how we ended up, you know, up here in Indianapolis um, after a couple of meetings with some of the people at uh, Developer Town and um, Verge at the time, which is now Powder Keg. And that kind of opened our eyes to, uh, yeah, we can build this and this is where we want to do it. Awesome. Love that. And then maybe hit us with some current stats today. How big is the team? How many workers? How many shifts? Any sort of vanity metrics you can share? Yeah, you know, and it's nice to have you ask that. You know, over the years, uh, I try and beat the vanity metrics out of, you know, my lexicon, right? But it, it, <laughs> you have to point to something, though. I mean, you've got to, if you don't start, you know, celebrating the, the small victories, even if they are vain, it becomes a really dark environment, you know, startup life. So, uh, happy to talk about that. So we, um, our team is still very uh, uh, lean. Uh, we've got uh, three people that live in Indiana, my co-founder, myself, and then we have 
uh, a development intern that's been working with us. Well, he started with us back when he was a senior in high school and has continued to run projects with us, you know, um, since 2017. So he's a Rose Holman <laughs> student, undergrad. So right now. A, a three-year intern. I don't know if that's an internship. <laughs> well, it turned from an internship, like, what do you know? And what do you want to work? You know, kind of, kind of the gopher on the development side. And then it became where, you know, he's building, you know, he's got full ownership of features and deploying those out. And uh, really, it was, it's not, I mean, he's a, a brilliant kid. So it's been fun. So I think interns uh, disservice, but he's an undergrad. I get, I get <laughs> it. It's all good. Uh, we've got uh, our CTOs in Australia. He's Southside Indianapolis, uh, born and raised. Uh, but he, you know, Tony's in Australia with his lovely wife and kids. And then we've got uh, our development team is based in San Francisco and um, with a handful of folks in uh, India that have been working with us for 18 months now. So Awesome. And then talk a little bit about on the customer side, uh, what, what that looks like. We've got, I, I want to say the numbers right around 450 unique uh, operations, unique venues on our platform. That's one side of the marketplace. The other side is we have 30, almost 36,000 industry workers. I say that term specifically, industry workers. You know, We don't uh, take people off the streets. Our platform is built for those that are already ha- that already have a career in food service or food manufacturing or hospitality, and they want to make extra money on the side uh, rather than get a second employer or drive an Uber. Uh, they can turn to us and leverage their skill set. Got it. Perfect. So I am always super interested in how people launch two-sided marketplaces. So those numbers while in the grand scheme of the total economy are, are you know probably still pretty small it, you are already light years ahead of many two-sided marketplaces with numbers like that so for first congratulations and then second i'd love to hear how you and the team approached launching the product initially and then maybe from there we can talk a little bit more about maybe what's next and what scale looks like as you continue to think about uh, how you grow it well, th- yeah, happy to talk about that too. Uh, you know, a lot of wh- how we got here was by making a, just a ton of mistakes, you know, or maybe uh, just multiple small mistakes or, you know, basically testing things out uh, as fast as possible. So early on, you know, we believe that you get the workers excited and then it stands to reason that you're going to get the interest of the businesses. That was our gamble and it worked. But I preface all that by saying that we, before we laid a line of code, we did, I don't know, 100, 200 interviews, you know, literal hand to hand combat, walking the streets, meeting with, you know, uh, directors and owners and GMs and really saying, all right, tell us your normal day. And, you know, they break it down and what are your service, you know, they highlight some problems or how do you solve that? And then, uh, how's that working? And, and you know, then propose the question about, well, what if you could do X, Y, and Z? Would would that interest you? And once we knew that they would be interested, then it was easy to go and uh, easy is relative. But it was then we could we're armed and saying, all right, we know that the customer side of it is interested. Are the workers now? And that's then we started targeting our efforts to really getting workers excited. You know, uh, like I mentioned previous, you know, in in general, I would say that. This industry is a bunch of hustlers with the best of intent, right? They know how to 
bounce from job. They know how to make a buck. And, you know, we figured if we could clear the brush, clear all the friction and hurdles out of the way and let them do that, that they would over time embrace it. You know, one win turns into 10 wins to a hundred to a thousand. And, um, we're seeing that right now. Awesome. I don't, maybe this is the right place to do this. Maybe not. How, well, I, I feel like I know the answer to the first part of this. How much has COVID impacted the business? More interesting to me than that is, do you think it changes anything going forward in terms of how you approach scale? Uh, it does. Uh, you know, in terms of how COVID would change our approach to scaling the business, yes. You know, well, we need to fall back on our on our strengths, right? What are we really good at? And that is fulfillment. Well, what is that? We're very, very good. In fact, we're the best in the industry at getting the right caliber of worker on the job. Hands down, you know, we're doing this at three times the industry average, you know, which is, it's quite remarkable. And I've got, um, I can't say enough about that because I guess really an anecdotal way to look at it is businesses can't staff or train that which doesn't exist. Right, that that which is not in their personal funnel, they can't engage with, they can't sell to about an opportunity, and so you've got this highly fragmented staffing industry. Right, I think uh, 140, 140 billion, right, is the the contract and temp staffing industry in the U.S. It's huge, but it's highly fragmented. You've got people all over the place, you know, trying to find their niche or be a jack of all trades, uh, but they're not doing it very well. And the industry average is 34% fulfillment, which is pathetic. I don't know another industry where you can fail, you know, nearly 70% of the time and, you know, still be in business. That's just my two cents. So that's, wow. that's kind of a, and I, I might be getting sidetracked because like I said, that's, is that's, that, that's a pool. It, yeah. Well, is that just hospitality or is that, is that across the board? That That's across the board in temp staffing. Wow. So, and. You know, and again, you might have some companies that do a little bit better, but inherently you turn to a temp agency, whatever your need is. I need an accountant, I need a janitor, I need a bartender, whatever it is. You turn because that is in your mind kind of your last resort. You tried the job boards, you tried Craigslist, you posted on Facebook, you texted, you know, your friends or your employees to get your brother's sister's boyfriend to come in again, right? That only goes so far. And so temp agency to turn to a temp, you don't know them. You know, you don't know if what their background is. You don't know if they've been fully vetted, you know, assuredly vetted. So you don't know what you're bringing into your establishment. Right. And so that's where that last resort comes in. And then, you know, the kind of the running joke, you know, our ideal customer is a larger operation. I mean, we work with small and, and massively large, but you know, when I say our ideal customer, that's what our sales effort is going after, right? That's what we're putting our our dollars to go and attract. Uh, but they, the running joke with them is, um, if I need three bartenders, I'm going to ask for seven or ten. And day of, you know, two or three are going to show up. If four shows up, great, we'll find something for them to do. And with us, they post ten; they're getting nine point four. And you know, uh, so they've, they've been able to augment completely how they think about staffing the, you know, getting the staff levels they need for any event. Our biggest, I think we had, you know, 175 going at once at one single event, you know, so to have a near perfect fulfillment rate with that, I think it's mind blowing. You don't know until you use us. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use another service again. 
um, as long as Snapshift keeps, you know, uh, kicking butt in that regard. And then from a venue or client perspective, is that how how does cost compare based on their next best alternative? If they're using the traditional temp agency where they have to go get, you know, request nine to get four, what is that cost versus me working with you on Snapshift? Well, we do, even though we don't compete on cost, um, we end up being cost neutral. So what you would spend per hour to get um, a temp agency to provide you with a, a body, you're going to spend that with us, but you're going to have your fulfillment be three times more reliable and you're going to have a higher caliber. Because like I said before, you know we've got people that in, this is their career. So it's a bartender that might be picking up a serving shift or it's a you know James Beard nominated chef that's washing dishes. None of that really matters as long as they've got the skill set, but that's who we're going after. And so you know you're going to be able to get more work done with the dollars spent. So the ROI is huge, but then it goes a step further. And so we've been able to analyze. We know that if you're understaffed as a business, it doesn't necessarily need to be hospitality, but as a business, that it costs almost six grand to replace somebody. So if you're down a an individual, you're probably going to have uh, an expenditure of six thousand. Half that's going to be on direct expenses where you're paying the job boards, time spent screening applicants, interviewing them, bringing them in for training, getting them on the job and going, right? Uh, But then the other part of that, the other half of that is lost productivity. So if you think about it in the terms of hospitality, if you are taking 40 minutes to get us our entrees, we're less likely to stick around and buy dessert or additional... Like There's this cascading effect where if you're not on point with your service, you end up you know, seeing revenues drop, but then you can apply that to any other uh, industry as well. So lost productivity is huge. So we know that if you're a business and you spend a dollar with Snapshift, our clientele, our client base, they're seeing five dollars in return. And it's not an obvious five dollars because productivity gains. It's pretty um, obscure. You've got to dig into your data and see the numbers, but that's what we're seeing with with our client base. Can we switch gears a little bit into competition? You okay with that? Yeah. Awesome. When you think of competitors for Snapshift, who or what comes to mind? Of course, the temp agencies. 140 billion. I mean, that's that's a big pie. We want it. Uh, so we're going after the incumbents first and foremost. And all of our digital counterparts are going after the incumbents as well. We all are better than using a temp agency. That's hands down. So you've got Winolo, you've got Paired. You know, th- those are both based on the West Coast. You know, you've got a handful of, um, you know, Winola is more generalized. You know, you can go and get a number of different roles filled there. Uh, whereas we're more focused on things that touch the food and beverage space, supply chain space, right? But we've probably got 14 or 15 known platforms that we compete with if we were in their markets. And we're just now kind of stepping into that where, you know, there's some cities that we're in, we're that competitors in as well. And then it becomes the Pepsi challenge. We're all for it. Use the tools that are in front of you. Like We're not mad at any business owner that does that or a worker that does that. If it generates money, do it. But give us a shot. You know, If you're not... you know, One time, try us. If you like us, keep doing it. I mean, it's not a... It's not a to me, it's not a winner take all right now because if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm, I should use that word though, Mike. Winner take all. 
although I, we are combining and going after and taking market share from uh, the incumbent temp agencies. Is there a dominant in the in the digital space where you play when you think of your peers who are out there and, and launching? Is there a dominant player in the space yet? I look at dominance in terms of their uh, war chest or funding that they've generated. And you've got there's two, well, three or four actually that have raised, you know, north of, I'd say, 14 million each. Uh, you've got a company in New York that's raised about 18 million. You've got three in California that have raised upwards of 30, 40 million, uh, 50 million even. Um, Good night. You've got one in Chicago that ended up, was called Shift Gig. They raised 50 million plus and they've pivoted a number of times. And now they are a software company selling to temp agencies. That's basically, when you peel back the onion, that's what I've come to understand. Uh, you know, they went from 300 employees to like 40. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not bad-mapping them at all. I mean, we're all in the same space and it's like, you know, we're competitors. But at the end, at the end of the day, I think we all have a, a niche that we excel in. And ours is this space, this vertical. Do you see a roll-up coming at some point in the future, whether that's based on geography or somebody trying to roll up different industries? Oh yeah, I mean, immediately comes to mind is Uber. You know, they've they've been they did beta testing for this type of work. This how do we you know we the whole concept of we have assets. What are your assets? Our our driver pool. We've got these contractors all across the country, and when they're not driving, what else can we do to monetize them, right? And so they looked at Uber Eats. That's a no brainer. Then a number of other avenues like, uh, hey, this driver knows how to how to wash a floor. Do you need your floor washed? Or this, this driver, you know, can cut grass. I, who knows? I mean, I know they, 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 they did some testing in Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, uh, and they're kind of the big gorilla, uh, the 800 pound gorilla. But at the end of the day, I think they're focused on what's making the money right now, which is Uber Eats and the whole thing with Grubhub, you know, so you're seeing it right now that you've got number two, number three players, uh, where Uber wants to grab them and, essentially become neck and neck with DoorDash. So I think over time, you'll start to see that. And the big if is, I think you'll see that more often in the generalized marketplaces. So the platforms that are doing a lot of everything become maybe attractive for roll-ups. Unless you're in a space where, you know, hey, I want to have the experts, uh, Snapships the expert in, in anything that touches food and beverage. We want them. And then I want the the company that's uh, doing that for nursing or the company that's doing that for childcare, you know, almost like the IAC approach, right. Uh, you know, buy all the dating apps, <laughs> you know, or buy, buy all the home service uh, platforms, Angie's list, home advisor, you know, and, and let's, so that's kind of how I view things. All right, Thor, let's talk swag. If I uh, am a Snapshift employee, uh, what cool swag do you have for me? And or if I'm like one of your uh, marquee clients, do you provide swag to them of any sort? I love swag. Well, although we've got a dirt, you know, a dirt of swag right now because we've given it all out. But T-shirts are killer. You know, we got nominated for the Mira for our T-shirt, but stickers. Uh, we've got a nice uh, round. <laughs> Did you actually get nominated to Mira for a T-shirt? Yeah, our best best tech uh, apparel. Oh, best tech apparel. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right well, tell me about that T-shirt. What was on it? Uh, well, it's got our logo snapshot across the front. It was that simple, but it's black and it's super soft. It's, uh, you know, Bella Canvas, uh, uh, you know, blend and it holds up and it makes you look tough. So like for me, <laughs> sitting at my desk all the time, 
you know, you get a little pudgy, but you put the Snapship shirt on, all of a sudden you think, those are pretty chiseled arms. He must, he must work out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is amazing. All right. And then uh, do you do you do things for uh, for uh, workers or clients? Uh, we do. Uh, typically uh, stickers, um, you know, little nickety knacks. Um, we are not as good as the Innovate Map team. I don't think anyone can compete with those lovely holiday cards they send out. But uh, just little things to, that have a little bit of branding that aren't so, you know, like in your face. Uh, just subtle reminders that... You know, we want them to, you know, wave our flag from time to time. Awesome. But stickers Love are it. the main one. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome. Well, if you need uh, stickers or a shirt that will make you look chiseled and cool, you can go to fuelmerchandise.com, mention startup competitors, and get 10% off your first order. I'm doing that right now, Mike. Thank you. Legit. If you... Maybe I should know this. I don't. I don't know if I do. Are you raising money right now? The answer is yes and no. Uh, you know, we were kind of in the midst of doing an extension on our seed, and I say kind of because we already had term sheets, um, and we were doing some efforts locally, right? At least within our Midwest. I say when I say local, uh, in that regard, I mean the Midwest. So Illinois, Missouri, Michigan, Indiana uh, investors that most of them have known us and they've watched us. You know take our baby steps to where we are. And so are you raising? Are you interested now when, you know, that sort of thing, but we didn't do a full court press or anything, um, which uh, that's a whole nother ball of wax. Happy to talk about it, but you know, building out your investor funnel, your pipeline and how to attack that is a job. And so I, I know I learned firsthand last year when we raised our uh, seed was that, all right, I'm doing this 12 hours a day. Who's selling to the customers? Who's taking customer calls, the big ones, right? If you're going after these larger contract value customers, and you know, you've got basically Stephanie and Thor juggling that. And she was doing the fundraise efforts as well. It's not like it's a you know, we've we've been able to allocate uh our time and kind of spread the uh, the pain a little bit between the two of us. But really we started to see that. You know, if we're going to do that, we got to do full court press and we got to know where our unit economics are, certain metrics that we know where they need to be at before we do our next, you know, an institutional raise, like a Series A. If I if I gave you $2 million right now, how do you think you would spend it? Sales. Uh, of course, I'd, we, we'd bolster our customer success. But immediately you say that, my mouth is watering. I'm hungry. Like, I, immediately to sales. You know, we've been able to partner with... Uh, our newest investor from uh, Palo Alto, San Francisco area, B2B SaaS experts, and you know, working with them uh, the last three four months to really build out our sales engine, you know, predictable sales engine, generating economies of scale, and and then of course, then it becomes a multiplication factor. That's where your two million comes in. You know, begin to add to that sales team. Can I? And I'm I'm about to go in a place where I fully expect at some point you're going to say I'm not going to answer that. So feel free to you shut me down wherever you think is appropriate. But can can I pick at that a little bit? I'm super curious about what are some of the modifications you're making right now uh, from a from a sales and marketing perspective. Like, what are some of the detailed things that you guys are doing to build out that funnel? Yeah, I'm going to keep it high level um, for the most part because uh, I. Honestly, I think it would kind of bore some people unless you're super nerdy about what we built. But it's also uh, proprietary, uh, which is kind of exciting. That's 
kind of the differentiator that we're trying to build in on another trench, if you will. Uh, but historically, we've done you know low cost, high yield, like social strategies, right? And so we know that that has worked well for us, you know, the last two plus years. Uh, but really, when it comes, so we learned. I'll, I'll do a caveat here. When we first launched, our number one customer did about eleven thousand and change with us in a year. That's gross. And last year was almost fifty, and that was with a customer that had only been using us for about four months. So now you can annualize these these numbers out. You have to earn the right to really get into that space to talk about these larger contracts. And we're right there doing that. Of course, COVID be damned, right? You know, a lot of these things, you know, we've got in place, but, you know, you're not necessarily going to see revenue generation during COVID unless there's shifts moving on our platform, right? Um, and so, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I know you asked about that and I, I didn't uh, directly answer you. So please feel free to ask me again. But the um, now with the, no, so account-based sales is key. And so it begins with sourcing specific, you know, we've got, you know, 20 or 30 different uh, criteria. So it's kind of an either or if an individual meets some of those criteria, put them in the funnel, right? And then we've got ways um, internally where we engage with them, put them through our sequences. And really that that's how you start to set up uh, and move them down the, uh, the pipeline. Um, we know that for us, when we get on the phone and do a demonstration of our capabilities to a customer, they get it. Uh, then it becomes a matter of decision making. Sign our, our MSA, and you know, onboarding them takes less than thirty minutes. So, you know, really, it's just getting up to that point, talking to the right people, and that's what we're fine tuning right now. Is uh, uh, specifically who we're talking to. Does that answer your question? It does. I could go deeper but your 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 disclaimer when you started uh will will get me to shy away from that it's okay i i am curious about one thing though given that it only takes about 30 minutes to set somebody up as a customer have you done any try before you buy campaigns and have those been successful do you still do them i I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about that it's something we've been kicking around with some of our companies yeah we do uh a lot of it's you know we try to keep it as a um as a tool so if for example, if I'm on the phone with a customer, that's an offering I can give them. Well, hey, why don't you give it a shot? X, Y, and Z will get you on our premium. You'll get access to all the premium features, right? Uh, which gives them the um, you know the desktop portal so they can do things from their desktop, as many traditionally like to do versus a mobile app or uh, or a tablet. That's kind of funny. Thinking of that, like that is the opposite of my intuition <laughs> of thinking of like the premium version is desktop versus mobile. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's what's interesting though is it depends on the operation, right? So if you've got a traditional operation where the staffing gaps are passed to the um, talent uh, acquisition or HR team, right, under that umbrella, they're doing this uh, on a nine to five. They're doing it at their desk, and for them to do fulfillment, it's easier for them just to you know, open a window. What's ideal from the customer end is the experience, you know. You're able to allocate and create your own hierarchy. So if you you know you could be HR and you do the fulfillment, but you also have a hierarchy of managers on site. So floor managers, ship managers, whatever it may be, and they'll they'll be the ones that get the alerts. Hey, Mike's Mike just arrived. Let me see what Mike looks like. There he is. Let's go shake hands, introduce ourselves. 
let's give them a quick, uh, quick orientation, you know, of the facility and, you know, here's the, the task, right. Uh, or the restaurant, or here's what we've got. Here's the menu and, um, put them to work. So that's, that's really the, the, the general use case. Uh, the, the phone becomes more of a, uh, the weapon to, for confirmation and just alerts at that point. You know, we do everything else on the back end as far as sourcing and getting the people where they need to be. Do you feel like you have product market fit? I mean, yes and no. I don't think anyone has product market fit until they're, they're at or beyond Series A, to be honest. And I think that's what investors are buying into at that point. That's a really interesting answer to that question. Nobody has ever said that before. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I, I, think I don't know either, but I, I like it. Like I, I just I wanted to share that with you. Like, I, like that's a super interesting answer to that question. Because it, what I like about it is that it's not you telling yourself a story. It's literally you outsourcing that validation to somebody else, right? Like, I don't know. How could I possibly know? I'm going to try... Like, when, when the market thinks I have product market fit, that's when I have product market fit. That's that's kind of what I hear in that answer. And that's that's super interesting. You nailed it. The market will tell you. Like, you'll know. And it's not to say that that us or any other startup, whether they're pre-seed, seed, seed, you know, it doesn't matter the stage... You know, everyone's got some semblance of product market fit, or they should. If you're generating revenue, I think that that's a, a proof point that what you're doing, people are willing. Some people are willing to pay for. Are millions willing to pay for it? I don't know. Um, and, and but you'll you will know once that happens. <laughs> uh, so part of me feels like that's a cop out, but at the same time, uh, yeah, you ha- I think we have to believe that. Continue to do the the little things each day, the building blocks. To get to that point, you know, I think, and this is anecdotal, Mike, but when we did our first, we did a video, just a, hey, I'm Thor, and here's basically, here's Snapship. But the way we shot it was pretty cool. You know, Indianapolis skyline in the background had some, had some uh, cool transitions and the music, right? But the thing ended up hitting, you know, uh, like five, 600 shares and, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of views. And people thought this product was ready. So I learned, <laughs> unfortunately, it's like that was a missed opportunity. We we were we were not even in beta yet. <laughs> I was just putting this video out like kind of like, here's an intro. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we didn't put a dollar behind it. So this thing vaulted. And th- that video, I think, ended up, you know, crossing into pretty high territory. But that that's beside the point. But ultimately, we did that in like uh, early summer of 17. And we didn't even start beta truly, like the system doing the work uh, until um, September, September, early September. And we didn't go live with a, with a sem- semi-finished product until January. So we were eight months way too early, six months too early <laughs> in that regard. Um, anyway, I, I didn't mean to go off on a, a different direction, but... Um, no, that's great. You know, it's one of those, like, I think people will tell you, and you see the voraciousness especially on social right now, we're all trapped, you know, and what do you do when you have some downtime? You might glance at Twitter and see what people really think in that moment. And uh, that is that, you know, if you can harness positive uh, energy on platforms like that, it's super powerful. And anyway, uh, so that, well, that's what we've seen though. I mean, that works, but then we, we monitor our use cases. So you asked about trial, same thing goes for workers. You know, everyone's, you know, if it's a new product or, you know, even in in areas where you might have competitors with competing platforms, you know, people are always going to be like, 
all right, I'm giving, do I give this amount of information that they're asking? And what's the return for me for the 10 or 15 minutes I spend doing this? Uh, is it a scam or whatever it may be? And so trying to assuage those concerns goes back to, you know, uh, the UI UX. Uh, it goes back to, you know, establishing a trust factor. Uh, but what we've seen once a worker works a shift and then they've got um, the money in their account, typically within 30 minutes of them clocking out. All right. That's pretty immediate gratification. I want to do that again. You know, I just made 150 bucks. And so they end up telling their peers. So we typically see that. So if somebody, and I'm not calling out a, a business for any reason, right? I think any, you know, we've got people from high-end restaurants probably making six figures that occasionally will do a ship with us, you know, so it, it was whatever, you know, works uh, for them. But, you know, if we had one Scotty's Brewhouse worker, we had 15. And and then so one, and the average ended up becoming for every one, we ended up seeing seven um, new worker signups. And so that was pretty great organic. And we still maintain about 50, I want to say 55% organic, 45%, you know, paid acquisition. Luckily with the workers, the acquisition is sub, I don't know, dollar ten. you know, using our channels and businesses a little bit higher acquisitions, you know, north of 500 or so. But then we look at lifetime value and I'll spend $500 all day long to get some of these amazing clients on board, you know, because obviously you saw or heard the comparisons between our first year and last year, the yeah. the, the jump uh, in contract size. Can I, I I'm going to ask a couple of business model questions that you may not know the answer to and that, and that's okay. I, I I'm though. Some of those numbers make me curious. What, what percentage of hospitality workers are just organically turning over in the marketplace year over year? And what I mean by that is they're not turning like not not like they're turning over in their job, but they're saying I'm now leaving hospitality, right? I, so I was that teenager, college student, and I, you know now I've graduated college and I, I'm going to go do my white collar job or, or or whatever, right? Like they've they've decided to go in a different career path. What do you know what that percentage is for? How many people are kind of leaving the market? On a annual basis, I don't. I, but I can maybe back into that number. You know, um, depending on the source. I mean, we again, we're very um, particular on if there is aggregate data or industry specific data. Where are we getting it from? And so we tend to turn to you know uh, research from Purdue, which has one of the acclaimed hospitality you know uh, you know programs. Um, you've got Cornell is another one even local here in India, like with Ivy Tech, right? So what what research are they doing or do those professors know? And there's some uh, indicators that, and again, it's not one size fits all. You know, fast food is probably going to be higher turnover than, you know, your typical, you know, mom and pop restaurant that just stands there. You start to build out a family, but turnover still exists. Uh, so we've always pegged the number at 70%. That it, so if you have the average restaurant has around 24 employees, so you're turning over 70% in a 12 month period. Now it could be you're turning over one position 10 times, right? And that skews, uh, you know, you've still got you know, out of 24, you only lost one, but you lost that one position 10 times. So that as a manager and owner, you need to address why, why are people walking out? Typically it's, it's working conditions or uh, low pay, which is, you know, kind of a, true negative on anything that's with hourly workers, right? I mean, that's that's nothing new or shocking. 
Um, I'm kind of, you asked me and I'm kind of, I buzzed my brain here a little bit. What back me up on the question? again? <laughs> well, yeah. So, so that, so that 70% turnover is an interesting stat, right? But the thing that, that is kind of interesting to me, which, which it was going to lead me to a question about your platform, which is if, if that 70% is just, let's say you have 10, 10 workers, shift workers, and seven out of 10 of them are going to leave you in a year. What's interesting to me is how many of them are then going to another hospitality job right. versus are just leaving entirely. And then what what makes me super interested then in, in, in my next question for you would be, what's that number look like on your platform? Because if I can correlate what's industry turnover in the industry back to what your turnover is from users on your shift workers on your platform, that gives me a sense of your stickiness, right? Because if you said, well, when we look at all of our users, you know, we turn over 50% of them, right? So from a customer success perspective, right? So like somebody will come on on the snap shift, they'll they'll do a couple of shifts and you know, then then half of them are are gone, and and we we know that some of them are going and taking full time jobs at those restaurants, right? They're no longer shift workers; they got hired at that restaurant, which we consider a great outcome. But then some of them also just left, like they just left the industry, right? Like they're not they're not doing that anymore, and that so that's a that's like a super interesting number, I think, to try to figure out because it 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 kind of gets to the efficacy of how people view your platform. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and I, I would find that to be interesting. Uh, however, the caveat for us is that you know we have firemen and police officers and folks from academia that jump on our platform. So I'm not saying that being a bartender is like riding a bike, but yeah, that's great. That's great insight. There is a baseline, like you know, uh, the way you make a cocktail did not change. It might be a new recipe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the way you're filleting, you know you know, this cut of meat, this fish, uh, that's pretty, you know, you've got a baseline of, of skills. And then, uh, so they're able to come in and plug and play. But at the end of the, end of the day, what I was, you know, found shocking was, you know, uh, and I, I say shocking in the sense that who was filling these shifts. So we had a lot of, you know, prep cooks and, you know, dishwashers and, and runners, you know, so, you know, these are the, these guys are, and gals are the hustlers, right? In the inside of a venue, they're the ones, you know, moving and grooving, I think, to really keep things uh, flowing. Because if you run out of plates, what are you going to do? We started to see a high caliber of worker that's willing to go wash a dish one time, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, but not full-time or even part-time. So, you, so that's, that's where the executive recruiting side comes in. If you want the best candidates... Those are the ones aren't that aren't looking. So as a recruiter, that's what you're paying for as a business to a recruiter for you to go get me a, a candidate pool that I couldn't readily get, or they're not on the job, you know, boards looking. And that's why you pay big bucks. Well, you're not making big bucks on placement fees and hospitality. So recruiters overlook that, overlook the space, uh, even in food service, you know, on the on the line, those types of workers. And so the concept is. We're interesting enough to high caliber workers, and there is no commitment other than be a good human, follow our guidelines, right? Follow our community guidelines, and we have no beef. So, you've got people that would never apply to become a dishwasher or prep cook, they'll step in to help. And they're going to do that again because they're going to get paid quickly, you know, through our platform, and typically ends up being more. Um, 
I think our aggregate over two years is over 50% more per hour than national industry rates for a given shift. And so for what it's worth, but on the data, so I wanted to pull this up while you were talking about because from a retention standpoint on the workers, we know on a 90-day retention, we hover between 35 and 45% on the workers. But then we also know that you have a certain percentage that return. Sometimes they left Indianapolis, maybe they moved to Las Vegas and they come back. How long were they gone? Six months, 12 months? I mean, we don't treat them as a new worker um, in that regard. They come in, they log in, and now they're seeing shifts because they're back in the radius of available shifts. We know a couple of stats I, I find interesting because it wasn't always like this. You know, you don't come out of the gate day one and have retention uh, or certain statistics on your user base, but 50% of our users on our platform we know are underbanked. Underbanked meaning they don't have a bank account. Uh, they're using prepaid cards. So we've seen that and we've you know established relationships with Chime Bank directly to bring them into uh, the banking um, you know uh, ecosystem. So now they've got fee-free checking accounts. Why do they do that on our platform? So they get paid by us near instantly. Otherwise, there's a delay. 60% of our users are female. And that wasn't always the case um, because again, who are these people and where are they sending me? You know that that's a big question mark uh, or two. And so building that trust factor, uh, I can't stress enough. But then we also learned that this goes back to your original question about the industry and, and percentages. Two thirds are holding down multiple employers, so they're employed by multiple companies just to get the hours they need. And so then you've got a logistics nightmare. Typically, you've got a business that you want to work with, but you still need hours. And so you've got, you know, out of a necessity, you've got to go find your hours elsewhere. Well, now they can use and find those hours through us. So they may be leaving one company, sticking with another and using us to now supplement the hours they were getting at employer number two, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right, so we're, we're just past 45 minutes. I feel like this is a, a good place to wrap up. By the way, those were that was like a phenomenal series of answers there at the end and some fantastic stats. Thank you for that. Uh, and congratulations. Sure. That that is some that's some awesome stuff. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about Snapshift, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, all the social channels, I, well, minus I think Snapchat. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and of course, our website, which is snapshift.com. And that's S-N-A-P-S-H-Y-F-T.com. And I will say you can also learn more about us. You know, a big thing, Mike, that I was pretty excited about uh, is that we actually have extended the opportunity. You asked about investing, you know, where we're at, are we fundraising? We are uh, in the sense that we've opened it up so that our users, our fan base, uh, our customers can now take part, and this this falls under the uh, you know Obama era Jobs Act uh, Title Three, where you don't have to be an accredited investor. If you like a company and you believe in their mission, you can invest. And right now, people can do that uh, at Net Capital. So if you Google Net Capital Snapshift, uh, there's an opportunity for them to learn more about us, see what we've done year to date, learn more about my lovely co-founder Stephanie and the team, and really kind of get some insights that you know your traditional website wouldn't share. I I love it. Can you send me that link? We'll get it in the show notes. Yeah, I will. Uh, Perfect. Sure thing. Awesome. All right, Thor. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate what you're doing here in Indy and uh, wish you the best of luck as you continue to scale. 
Likewise, Mike, thank you for having me. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.